Hello and welcome to the Pondering Scripture Podcast, where we'll open God's Word and let Him guide our lives. I'm your host, Jeremiah Cox. This is the third episode of our topical discussion of profitable paradoxes. We're going to continue with the paradox we see at the beginning of verse 9 in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We remember that the Apostle Paul is defending his apostleship. He's showing that he's given no offense. Verse 3, he says that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And he continues with his discussions of profitable paradoxes in verse 9, when he says, as unknown and yet well known. I think we're all very familiar with the fact that these apostles were not men of renown. They were individuals not of noble backgrounds, but many of them were those who were the lower end of society, if you will. It reminds us in Acts chapter 4 of when the apostles were being questioned by the Sanhedrin council after they had been expressly commanded to not speak in the name of Jesus. They were arrested and they were before them in trial. And they never backed down. They gave their defense. They spoke with reason. They spoke with conviction. We remember in Acts 4 and verse 13 that when the Sanhedrin saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They realized that they had been with Jesus. These were not individuals of great training and of great education. These were not professionals. These were certainly not those of the Jewish faith who were of the leaders in the nation and in that religion, as the Sanhedrin council was that they stood before. Yet they were individuals who were doing great work in the kingdom. These people who were the apostles of the Lord, and we read about in the New Testament, they were unknown to many. They were nobodies. They were Perhaps we'd describe them as the untouchables of society. Simple people with modest trades like being fishermen or with those trades that were hated like the tax collectors. These were individuals, though, that were called to a great service and called to a great responsibility as apostles of the Lord. You know, we think about that idea of the apostles, especially Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 6 and defending his own ministry, as being unknown and yet well-known. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul was probably the most known, well-known of the apostles when we think about it, because he was of those Jews who were persecuting the Christians early on. We read of him persecuting the Christians in chapter 8 of Acts and then in chapter 9 before he was himself converted to Christianity, where the persecutor became the persecuted. But he was an individual who is spoken of in Scripture, especially as he writes concerning himself, remembering uh, his pedigree in Christ, or, or not in Christ, but in the Jewish religion, rather, that he was an individual who had some things to boast about in the flesh, if that even mattered. And we remember him recalling some of those things in Philippians chapter 3, how he spoke of being one who was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. And when you think of the other times he spoke of himself in Acts, he considered the time where he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, a 
teacher held in high respect by the Jews. But in Philippians 3 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul said, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. So he became a nobody after he was a somebody in the Jewish faith. He called himself a chief of sinners in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. And you know, it's interesting that as soon as he became an apostle, it's like all of his pedigree went to nothing. And, and he was willing to do that. That's what he's talking about in Philippians 3. These things that were gained to me, I've kind of lost for Christ. But his own countrymen who knew how well studied he was, who knew how well reasoned he was, who knew how zealous for God he was, all of the sudden treated him like a nobody and themselves persecuted him as he once persecuted Christians. And it's interesting that the one of the apostles who was the most known in Paul was the one who had to continually defend his apostleship and defend himself before others who claimed he was indeed a nobody. In Galatians 1 and verse 1, we read of that. He calls himself an apostle, but he emphasizes not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And he continues this defense by showing in verse 15 that when God separated him from his mother's womb and called him through his grace to reveal his son in me, he says that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He didn't have to go to the other apostles and receive some validation from them. In fact, at the time, he was unknown to those men as being a member of the church, as being one of the apostles of the Lord. They didn't know him as a great warrior of faith in the name of Christ. They knew him as one who persecuted the church. And we see the, the hesitancy in Acts chapter 9 abundantly clear after he eventually went to Jerusalem and he tried to join the disciples, how they were timid and hesitant to allow him to join them in fellowship and Barnabas had to vouch for him. And so he was unknown, even to the other apostles at that time, and that wasn't a problem to him. He was going to do what was his duty to do. You know, he noted how he was unknown to many and challenged by many in regard to his apostleship in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 5 when he says, I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have, been, have thoroughly manifested we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things, he says to those Corinthian brethren. And so Paul was unknown. The other apostles were unknown, yet Paul emphasizes, yet we're well known. In what way? There's a reason why this is called a paradox. How is he unknown, yet well known at the same time? Well, it's considered in light of really what matters the most. He was unknown among the men of the world. He was treated as a nobody, and he was put in prison. He was persecuted. At once he was stoned and left for dead. He was unknown to men. And it was really because he wasn't living to be known by men, but he was living as an apostle, as a Christian, as a disciple of Christ, so that he could be known by Christ and known by God. You see, the apostles may have been fishermen, tax collectors, nobodies, the scum of the world, if you will, in fact, the Apostle Paul mentioned to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 4 that they had been made an off-scouring of the world, yet they were known to God, and that's all that mattered. They were called to be apostles, a noble work, 
and they understood it as such. They may not have been politicians or famous individuals. They may not have ever known to be standing out in the secular history of the world, yet they knew who called them was the creator of the universe and that they were what they were called to was of great importance. And this is what they came to understand, especially as Christ told them in Matthew chapter 19, after Peter mentioned that he had left all and followed Christ, so what shall we have? And Jesus said to him in Matthew 19, 28, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's speaking of the apostles and their work. You see, the word of Christ is what we read, and it's inspired of the Holy Spirit. But men like Paul, like Peter, men like Matthew and others, those who were called to be apostles, they're the ones that wrote it down. They're the ones that went throughout the regions in the first century when the gospel was first being proclaimed, proclaiming it afresh. And therefore, their lives were at stake, and nobody knew them, yet they proclaimed the gospel. And while men may not have realized, they were sitting on 12 thrones and still are judging the world, that is, Christ through them. In Ephesians 2 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul noted the one man created in Christ Jesus from the two, Jew and Gentile. And he mentioned concerning the Gentiles especially, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The apostles are the foundation to the church, Christ being the cornerstone. Jesus built the rock, built the church on the rock of the fact that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But it's the apostles who went about proclaiming that truth. Now they're lined up with the chief cornerstone, but they are indeed the foundation. You know, we can learn a lot from this, especially as it pertains to us as Christians. Not only were the apostles unknown yet well-known to God, as they submitted to the call of apostleship, but we are in the same boat. We're not known to the world. We're nobodies, and we don't get the kind of respect that those who are famous, those who are political leaders, those who are great men, according to the world, get. Because we are of humble state before God and Christ. We're called to follow Him, which is not a a call of being noble to the world, but being noble before Him. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26, speaking of those who are called by the gospel and answer that call, that you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to, th- put to shame the things that are wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. It's not that the whole world isn't called. But as the gospel shows many times, many are called, but few are chosen. You see, even the rich and the famous are called by the gospel. The gospel's for them, and Jesus died for them as well. 
but not many of those will answer that call. And so for those who are called the called as they answer that call, not many of them are men of high renown. Not many of them come from what we might call high society, but they are the humble. But really, those who are answering the call, who are definitely men from noble backgrounds and positions, they've got to become a nobody, in a sense, in order to become a somebody in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, he elaborates upon this idea that not many noble and wise were called. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.18, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. It was Jesus himself who said in Matthew 5 and verse 3 in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yes, we may need to become poor in spirit in order to be those who are partakers of the kingdom, to be those who are partakers of the blessings in Christ. We've got to realize who we actually are. You know, nobody is really something. When it all boils down, we're all those who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And those who realize that, that doesn't matter how many, how, how much money they have, what kind of calling they're in, and what, what kind of crowd follows them, ultimately when it comes down to it, they're a nobody, we're a nobody. But it's those who realize that and then come to Christ to receive the remission of sins who become known to the one of whom it only matters. They become known to God. And that's all that matters. You see in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul noted, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's all that matters. We may not be known to the world, but we're known to God. We're of His household in Hebrews 3 and verse 6. It says that Christ is a son over His house, whose house we are if we hold the confidence fast and the rejoicing of our hope firm to the end. The Apostle John notes with joy in his first epistle in chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us. We're unknown because it did not know Him. Not even Christ was known. A man of Nazareth, an individual who is a carpenter, Nobody knew Jesus of Nazareth except his family and the people around Nazareth. It was only until the last three years of his life when he began his ministry and he began to perform miracles and preach the gospel of the kingdom that his fame started to spread. Otherwise, he wasn't famous. But even then, it wasn't enough because they treated him like a worm as he recounts by prophecy in Psalm 22. He was no man to those who crucified him, but he was the scum of the earth. He was a nobody. And so those who follow him are a nobody. The world does not know us because it did not know him. But now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Who cares if no one knows us, if we're the children of God? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2 addressed a problem among those brethren. Apparently, these two women, Yodia and Syntyche, were 
having some kind of conflict. So the Apostle Paul encouraged the brethren to help them in this. But notice the wording in Philippians 4.3. He said, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Our names are in a book written by God. They're recorded. We're known to Him. That's all that matters. In Luke 17, with the 70 who were given ability to cast out demons and do other miraculous works, Jesus said in Luke 17, 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's all that matters. In Hebrews 12 and verse 23, the Hebrew writer noted that those who are Christians are those who have come to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. We need to understand that it doesn't matter if we're unknown to others. The call of the Christian is not a call to fame. It's a call to humility. We shouldn't endanger being known to God for the sake of becoming known to men. And I'm afraid that that is a great danger among the brethren, especially with things like social media, which make it a lot easier for us to put ourselves out there and become known to a degree, even if it is among our small circle of Facebook friends. Sometimes people put themselves out there and it seems like they just want the world to see them and what they're doing and who they are. But the Christian is really called to a quiet life of obedience to God. When we do those things, we endanger ourselves with pride. We endanger ourselves with materialism and envy and jealousy and lust. But if we understand it's not about being known to the world, but about being known to God, then we're going to save ourselves from a lot of unnecessary temptations. Remember in Matthew 7 and verse 23, Jesus said to those people who did a very great amount of things in his name, but they were not according to the word of the Lord. He said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those are going to be terrible words for anyone to hear. I never knew you coming from the mouth of Jesus. Why not? Be unknown to the world, but known to God. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, that verse continues with another paradox, as dying and behold, we live. We've got to take courage at the fact that this outward man is but a vapor, which means all the bad that comes with it is but a vapor. The pain you may be going through, the loss that you experience The fact that we're all literally dying as we speak, our body is decaying, that's just the fact of physical life with anything. It has an expiration date, if you will. But understanding the fact that there's something eternal that will never waste away should be encouraging to us, especially as we conform ourselves to the gospel of truth and we're being transformed into the same glory as the glory of the Lord. You know, this is something that the Apostle Paul noted as his call to apostleship brought upon him such pain and anguish inherent within that office of being an ambassador of Christ. And we can apply it to being a Christian as well, and I think that's what Paul does really in 2 Corinthians 4 and also chapter 5. When he says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us, He explains, we're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. 
Later, he mentions that he looks forward to the resurrection, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will raise us up with Jesus and present us with you. And he reaches the most familiar part of this section of Scripture in verse 16 and encourages himself and the brethren there. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The only thing that matters is what is not seen. And that's to this extent that the Apostle Paul not only was willing to endure the sufferings and the dying in the body of his Lord, but he looked forward to it. In Philippians 3, remember in verse 7, what things were gained to him, he counted loss for Christ. And some of the things he mentioned in verse 10 were that he may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. He wanted to experience the suffering for the Lord. He understood what the apostle Peter mentioned in 1 Peter 4 and verses 12 through 16, that if you partake of Christ's sufferings, then you will be glad with exceeding joy, for you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. That's a blessing. And so we may be dying, yet behold, we live. Even more so, we're growing and we're being transformed. We're taking on a greater existence. Jesus himself called us to take up our crosses and follow him as a call to discipleship. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. If we're willing to lose our physical life and everything that it entails, all of the things that we enjoy in this life, if we're willing to give that up, then we'll save our spiritual life. We'll save our souls. We may be dying, but behold, we live. Jesus called the church in Smyrna to ultimate sacrifice when he said in verse 10, not to fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. He says, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. That's this same concept of dying, yet behold, we live. The crown of life, we live. But it's something that if we fully realize it, we'll be willing to do what Jesus just told the church in Smyrna to do. To be faithful even to the point of death. Not just be faithful your entire lives even until you die from old age, but he's saying be willing to die prematurely, not of natural causes, but of persecution causes. Be willing to die for Christ. If your faith takes you to your deathbed, be willing to do so. Because although you're dying... Yet behold, you live. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote an encouragement to the church in Rome. In Romans 8 and verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He knew that though we're dying, we live. We're growing. We're taking on a new image, the image of Christ, And eventually, that's going to be consummated. While we take on the image of Christ now because Christ lives in us, Galatians 2.20, no one sees it, not in a 
visual sense. They may see a change in our life and the things that we do, but they may see those changes and even realize there's some inherent good in them, but not be drawn to it like we are because they fail to see the true substance of it. That's what 1 John 3 was talking about. We're children of God now, but the world doesn't know us. But we will be transformed in that same image. And that glory is so much greater than the suffering we have to endure. We've got to realize the call that we've been given. We're called to not be known to the world, but unknown. Yet when we're unknown to the world as we follow the gospel and not go in the way of the world, we'll be known to God. And that matters because even though our physical life, which may be unknown to many, perishes, since we're known to God, we live. And we're those who have a hope that is incomprehensible. It's an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, which does not fade away reserved in heaven for us. And we need to be encouraged by that. Brethren, we've got to grasp these paradoxes so that we can know what is most important, what is truly substantive, and that we may gain courage to live for Christ each and every day. I certainly hope that these studies are being beneficial to you and that the last two will be of benefit to you as well. I encourage you to tune in each week. If you have the time, I'm so thankful for your listening, and I certainly hope these things were of benefit to you. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pondering Scripture. It may be that you have some questions or comments. If so, don't hesitate to email me at jeremiahstancox at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day.